Well, good morning, everyone. I know that it is, uh, it's after 9.30, so it's not too early now. I see some people have some coffee. If you do start dozing off, you can go over and, uh, I guess, grab some, some Coke there. Tim, they don't have Mountain Dew, but they got Mellow Yellow, so I hope, I hope that'll do for you. But, uh, but again, it is good to be here this morning. It has been a while since I've talked here. It's been at least three years, I would imagine, but uh, lots changed for me. Uh, and my family, again, I'm, I am Landon Rudder. If you don't know me, I believe I know most everybody here. But since that uh, three years, we've had two kids. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Lincoln and a six-month-old daughter named Charlotte, who Chris has in her hands right now. And so we've been blessed over the past few years. And it is, uh, again, an honor to be here this morning with you, getting ready to open God's Word and study from it. Well... And I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't normally do PowerPoint, so bear with me if, uh, if we run into a, a few hiccups along the way, but I think we'll be okay. But the topic for this series of lessons that we're going to do today has to do with problems facing the church. And I would say one of the problems that really comes to my mind is the fact that we live in a godless culture, a godless society that becomes more and more detached spiritually and from God with every single passing day. And as Christians, we've been commissioned to spread the gospel, to teach the good news of Jesus Christ. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we effectively preach the gospel when we live in a world, when we live in a culture that absolutely rejects truth? A culture that glamorizes the sinful, glamorizes the forbidden, and turns them into things to be desired. A culture that depends on human wisdom, on human knowledge, not the knowledge of God. How do we teach the gospel in a culture that when they do decide to be religious, they twist and manipulate the words of God to make it say whatever they want? The fact of the matter is we live in a godless culture. We do. And it becomes more and more detached from God with every single passing day. But you know, this isn't just a 21st century problem. This is not a 21st century problem. This is the same problem that was happening in the first century. In fact, a great example of this is what Paul faced. In Acts chapter 17, Paul faced the same types of culture, if not worse, in his day. I mean, think about the people that Paul had to walk alongside, he had to associate himself with. Paul was face-to-face with the same people who crucified Jesus. Paul walked alongside those who persecuted Christians. He traveled among people who rejected the one true God. And so all in all, Paul lived during a time period that was full of men and women who rejected God. And so what we're facing today is the same thing that Paul faced when he was walking the earth. And again, Acts chapter 17 is a great example of of this godless culture that Paul faced and how Paul preaches to that culture. And in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul preaching to the Athenians. And if you remember, Paul is in Athens because he was preaching the gospel in Thessalonica and in Berea. But the Jews caught wind of it and they kicked him out. And so they kicked him out of Thessalonica, then Berea, and he finds himself in Athens. And if you remember, Athens was the heart of Greek culture. It was the heart of Greek intellect. And it was known for its art, 
for its architecture, its philosophy, and some of the most well-known philosophers that have ever lived have come from Athens. But even more famous than the art, the architecture, the philosophers were the countless number of Greek gods that were in Athens. In fact, there were so many Greek gods that the pagan writer Petronius once said that it's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. I want you to think about that. It's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. And that just basically brings to mind the fact that there were so many idols. It was such an idolatrous place that everywhere you looked was a symbol or a representation of some sort of God other than the true God. And then that's why in verse 16 it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul saw this. He saw the idolatry and his spirit was provoked. And so these gods bothered Paul so much that they motivated him to confront the Athenians, to teach about the one true God. And so just like in Thessalonica, just like in Berea, Paul finds himself reasoning with the people. And when he's not reasoning with the people, he's in the marketplace teaching on a daily basis. And just right there is a great lesson for us. That when we're confronted with a godless culture, we can go out, we can reason. We don't have to debate, get in an argument. We can reason, we can talk it out. We can be, make an effort to go on a daily basis to talk about the Word of God. Like These are things that, that Paul teaches us that we need to do as Christians. Well, some philosophers caught wind of what Paul was teaching. And they confronted him about it. And they thought that they called Paul a babbler. They thought he was talking about foreign gods. And, you know, the fact that these philosophers called Paul a babbler and thought that he was talking about foreign gods really shows that how disconnected they were from the true God. I mean, these were intellectual people who had no idea of the true one God. And so these philosophers caught wind, and even though they didn't understand, they still invited, they wanted to hear more. And so they invited him to the Areopagus, or to Mars Hill, and that's where the magistrates and the courts met. And so he was brought there and given a platform to teach his doctrine to the Athenians. And so here is Paul, speaking to an arrogant, puffed-up, intellectual audience who thinks they know everything there is to know about life in the spiritual realm. And we sometimes find ourselves surrounded by the same types of people, don't we? Arrogant, puffed up, egotistical, think they know everything there is to know about life and the spiritual realm. Well, how do we confront that? How do we preach to those people? Well, what we're about to see is Paul break down exactly what we need to address, what we need to say in order to effectively reach this people. And he does it very simply by breaking down his lesson into three simple points. He teaches that God is... In other words, that God exists, he teaches who God is, and he teaches what God says. And so let's just go on and read together uh, Paul's address to the Athenians on Mars Hill and discuss what we can apply uh, to our efforts as we spread the gospel to a godless culture. Well, let's start in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul's address to the Athenians. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, 
Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on earth, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our own being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being therefore, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance and God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And so what we see here is Paul addressing the Athenians, and he's basically, what we see throughout the course of this address is him laying down the foundation of Christianity. And that's what I want to talk about. And let's just talk about the first element that we can learn from Paul and what he does to effectively communicate the gospel. And the first thing that we see him do in verses 22 and 23 is that he teaches them that God is, or that God exists. And that's why it says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And so in the midst of all these idols, they've got a God for everything. And just to make sure they cover all their bases, they've got a God, an idol, to the unknown God. And so Paul says, listen, what you worship as unknown, I'm here to tell you who this is. I'm here to tell you the unknown God to you. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And understand in verse 22 when he calls them very religious, he says, I perceive that you are very religious. That is not a compliment to the Athenians. He's simply pointing out that he's able to observe all their idols, their interests in the spiritual, and he's able to, to identify them as religious people in that sense. And what a statement like that really says is that all of us, in a sense, are innately religious. We are religious beings because all of us strive to worship something, whether it's God or whether it's something or someone else. We all strive to worship something. All humans dedicate their lives to their jobs, to their families, uh, or to hobbies, to money. We dedicate our lives to ourselves, to laziness. All of us try and fill voids. We all worship and strive to, to worship something, and in that sense, we are religious. It's been said that UK basketball 
It's kind of like a religion. Why? Because the people who follow it are dedicated to the cause and the mission of the UK basketball program. And in a sense, those people are worshiping UK basketball. It's a religion to them. And so being called religious isn't necessarily a compliment. Because all of us are innately religious. We desire to worship something. And the Athenians were no different. And so Paul could see all the false objects of their worship, all these false idols in their lives, and he knew what they needed to know was that there is one God and that He exists. And so that's why he says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And understand that God has created us with the ability to recognize His existence. To recognize that there is a spiritual power that is worthy of of worship. And when it comes to recognizing the one true creator, man is without excuse. The Bible teaches us that man is without excuse because God has revealed himself to all of us in everything that he has created. In fact, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. The heavens above, when we walk outside and we at night and we look up, that declares the glory of God. It reveals His handiwork to us. God has revealed Himself to us in that. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The attributes of God, His divine nature, His eternal power, have been revealed to us through His creation. And so everything that God has created, in a sense, is His way of revealing Himself and making Himself known to mankind. And so think about the most breathtaking physical um, thing that you've ever seen, whether it's the ocean, maybe you've been to Yellowstone National Park, seen the Grand Canyon, maybe it's a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. Well, God, in a sense, is communicating with you. He's revealing Himself to you. He's making Himself known to you through those things. And so we're created with this ability to understand that, this ability to to sense God, to to see the revealing of God. And if a person is completely honest with themselves and has an open heart, they'll see that. But the fact of the matter is, sin clouds that. We live in a society that is so bombarded with sin, they can't properly perceive God. They can't properly perceive who God is. They can't see that God has revealed Himself to us because they're so bombarded with sin. And it's our responsibility to say, listen, there is a God. He exists. He is the creator. We have to communicate that with those. And so it's true for the Athenians that that sin clouded their judgment, their perception of God. And it's true for so many today. And so what Paul is saying in verses 22 and 23 of our text is, listen, there is a God and I'm going to tell you the truth about him. And we should be bold enough to say the exact same thing. Well, the second thing Paul teaches us is to teach them who God is. So we've told them that God exists. Now it's our responsibility to teach them who this God is. And in verse 24, uh, the beginning of, um, well, let's see. I told you I was going to mess this up. 
Alright, there we go. Alright, so it's our responsibility to teach them who God is. And if you remember, the Athenians were supposed to be the most intellectual, enlightened people on the planet at this time. Okay? But the fact that Paul was having to explain to them the basics of God shows you just how disconnected they were. I mean, they they perceived to be intellectual, but they had no idea of the truth of, of the true God. And that just shows us that human wisdom is fallible. Human wisdom is flawed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And we all know that God is not foolish, and we all know that God is not weak. But the idea of this verse is, listen, no matter how strong a man is, no matter how intellectual a man thinks he is, he's nothing compared to God. It pales in comparison to God. But our society doesn't understand that. Our society doesn't see that. Because man is always trying to use his wisdom. Man is always trying to use his power to solve problems, whether it's economic or political, societal problems. Man is always trying to to lean on his own wisdom and understanding. And this proves that, that our society really doesn't know God. They don't understand God. They don't understand what God can do for the society. And so how do we explain to these people who God is? Well, Paul breaks it down to us uh, in five ways. First, Paul explains that God is the creator. At the beginning of verse 24, Paul says, God made the world and everything in it. So he explains, listen, God is the creator. God made, every, God made you, God made everything. And the thing that we know, and David is, I don't know if he slipped in or not, but, oh, there, hey, David. David knows that uh, there, you will confront people who tell you that, listen, no, there's no God. God didn't do this. We, we evolved over billions of years. It was a random accident. It just, it just happened. That's something the world tells us. But no, it's our responsibility to say, no, God is the creator. And so we have to make it clear that there's no other option, no other explanation for our existence and for the things that we see around us. The second thing that Paul points out is that God is the ruler. In the second part of verse 24, Paul says, He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by man. And so as the creator, God has the right to rule. God has the right to lord over his creation. And he's not confined or bound to anything that humans have created. There's nothing that man can make. There's nothing that that man uh, can do to house God. Because God holds everything in the palm of his hand. And he rightly and and justly rules over all of it. So God is the ruler of, of everything. Thirdly, Paul points out that God is the giver. In verse 25, he says, He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so as the creator of everything, there's absolutely nothing that God needs from us. You see, God, even though there's nothing that God needs from us, nothing that will better him, he still finds it in himself to give to us. He gives us life. He gives us breath. He gives us every good thing that we have. And so God is the giver. He's the provider. Fourthly, God, Paul points out that God is the controller. 
In verse 26, Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in their boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, as difficult as this point may be to communicate to those in the world, it's essential that we let them know that God is the one who is ultimately in control. God is the controller. And this is happening, and all that is happening, all that has ever happened, has either been divinely appointed or something that God has allowed to happen by man's own choices. And so regardless of how that happens, God is overseeing, and God is allowing all things to happen, and He is ultimately the one in control and in authority over His creation. And the fifth thing that that Paul points out to the Athenians is that God is the revealer. In verses 27 through 29, he says, Men should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of, you, as even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And so, Paul is saying, listen, God is the revealer. We've already talked a little bit how God has revealed himself to us in his creation. Well, Paul goes on to say, listen, God's not far from each one of you. Because in him, we live and move and have our very being. God is close. God is there wanting to reveal himself to us. He has revealed himself to us. And and something that's interesting about this is Paul, Paul cites even their own poets, the poets that they, uh, that they quote and that they study. He says, even your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So it's interesting that they're familiar with that, yet they don't make the connection there uh, that God is the ultimate uh, authority. And so God, by creating, by ruling, by giving, by controlling all things, has revealed himself to us. And again, as we talked in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Man is without excuse. Man is to know this because God has made himself clear to us. And so after we explain to them who God is, we then need to move on to teach them what God says. And we see this happening in verse 30 and 31 of our text. In chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul has taught them that God exists. He's taught them who God is. And now he's going into what God says. And he tells them that what God says is that he will come back and he will judge mankind. He said he will fix today. He has fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And if you go on, it says, And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Well, that that him there is Jesus. He's given assurance to all people by raising Jesus from the the dead. Now, now that assurance there could mean that, uh, that we can be assured that God will return because he has raised Jesus from the dead. But maybe it also means that All men have an assurance of hope if they believe in the one who has risen from the dead. 
And so regardless of the meaning of, of that assurance, Paul simply tells them, listen, you need to repent. God wants you to repent. That's what he's telling you to do. And so up to this point, Paul has addressed a culture that is so steeped in idolatry and so sinful, yet he has effectively laid the foundation of the gospel, hasn't he? He's told them that there is one true God, that this God exists, that he is the author, the creator, he is the controller of all things, that he commands everyone everywhere to repent because he will righteously judge the world through his son, Jesus Christ, who was risen from the dead. Paul was able to confront this idolatrous culture and essentially lay down the foundation of the gospel. And it's the essential foundation of Christianity. And had these people lit him, had he continued to talk, we know that he would have gone on to explain to them the significance of Jesus' death, the significance of Jesus' resurrection, the importance of approaching the Father through Jesus Christ and becoming a child of His. And we know He would have done this because earlier in Thessalonica, in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, we see Him teaching and explaining about Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, verse 18, even to the Athenians before this particular address, He's teaching about the importance and the significance of Jesus. So we know that this is something Paul would have gone into. And so, bold, so Paul has taught us to boldly communicate the gospel to an audience that is completely disconnected and has no idea who the one true God is. That's pretty amazing that he has done that in these three simple ways. But you're thinking, okay, great. He's done it, but what's their response going to be? Because remember, these are intellectual people. These are arrogant people in a sense. They're just going to reject what he says. I mean, who is Paul? What what does he know? Well, let's look at what their response was, starting in verse 32. In verse 32, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So Paul got three responses, didn't he? He got three responses. He had those who completely rejected his message. He had those who heard it, were interested and wanted to hear more. And then there were those who just believed right there on the spot. And those same three responses are the same three responses we're going to get today. We're going to get one of those three. And the fact of the matter is, yes, we're going to run into people who constantly reject, who who just put up a wall. Their heart is so hard, no matter what we say, listen, no. They're just going to reject us. And, you know, that's a sad fact of life. But then there's also going to be two other possible responses. And those responses are going to be those who hear and those who want to hear more. The, the one where the seed has fallen and we can continue to water. And then there's going to be the third response. And that is those who, who hear it, their heart is so open, so ready to receive it, that they just believe. And so responses like this can and do happen even in societies where, where they're so detached from God. Even in our society. The society that we live in. 
And so Paul simply teaches us how to communicate to people like this. And you may be asking, why, why did I choose to talk about this this morning? Well, one, be as I mentioned earlier, I do feel like it is a problem that faces the church. I mean, the fact that we live in a godless culture is a constant problem. It's a problem that really will never go away. But it's been my observation, and I'm guilty of this, that we do not share the gospel the way God sometimes intends us to. And my fear is that this is happening because we sometimes do a poor job separating ourselves from the world. We do sometimes become conformed to the world. And we do, li- we do lose sight of the fact that our society is so sick in sin that the only way that it can be healed is with Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'm afraid we blur that line. We don't, we're not able to, to walk into a city or, or look around us and see the idolatry all around us like Paul did. Paul was able to keep that distance. He was able to say, listen, this is an idolatrous place. These people need God. He didn't become desensitized to it or become accepting of it or give in to it. He was able to keep that distance, understand his role in the kingdom and what he needed to do to preach the gospel. And so we need to make sure that, that we, we are the ones who influence the world and not let the world influence us. And another reason I wanted to talk about it is because we've been commissioned to spread the gospel to all men. But sometimes we let godless cultures intimidate us. We, we sometimes get intimidated. We're not certain how on earth we're supposed to effectively communicate the gospel message to a godless society, especially a godless society who's confident in their godlessness. How do you confront that? How do you teach that? I mean, are we going to get shot down? Are we going to get rejected? I mean, what do we do? And so we just feel like maybe we're just not intellectual enough to, to communicate the message. But understand that, God, that Paul confronted one of the most idolatrous cities ever known to mankind. And even though he faced rejection from some, he was rejected. He was still able to reach those with an open heart. And he did this by simply pointing out the existence of God, who God is, and what God's message is to mankind. The exact same thing we should be doing to those around us. And lastly, I wanted to talk about this because for as long as life continues, as I've mentioned, Christians everywhere will be surrounded by cultures and societies that flat out reject God, that detach themselves to God, that sometimes even make an effort to separate themselves from God. But it's our responsibility to be ready. It's our responsibility to be willing to communicate the gospel message to those people. And so it's my prayer this morning that all of us will stand strong in the midst of idolatry, that all of us will stand strong in the midst of godless cultures, of godless people, and that we will boldly and confidently communicate the message that God wants us to communicate. Well, that's all I have this morning. I appreciate your attention. I hope that uh, what I said was beneficial and that you were able to take a few things away from it. And so that concludes my portion of this lectureship.